Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we get into your word this morning, more than anything else, we just want you to be glorified. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent us your son. And Lord, we want to live every day as if you own everything. We want to live every day full throttle. And so, Lord, thank you for what you have done. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. If you're visiting this morning or if you weren't here last week, uh, what we're doing is uh, we're just, first of all, just framing what is the mission? So the mission statement is what's the mission at Sherwood Oaks? And then from that mission statement, we're going to, in the next five weeks, get into what the values are that connect to that. Now, the mission is simply this, people helping people grow generations of Christ-led generations. People helping people grow generations of Christ-led influencers. Now, here's one of the things that I shared last week is uh, Andy Stanley, a great Christian leader, uh, one of the comments that he made, and I totally agree, one of his observations is a lot of times you'll see a mission statement, but a mission statement is what you hang on a wall. And if you don't have systems and values to drive that mission statement, that's all it is. It's literally just a statement that you put on the wall. So that's what we're going to unpack these next five weeks. What are the values behind that mission? And this first value is an important one, and it's a critical one. And when you talk about values, a value from this comes from the business dictionary. Values are lasting beliefs. They're shared ideas about what is good, bad, and values influence our behavior. They influence our attitude. What you value in life you think about it, that's what you prioritize. That's what you move towards is with your money and your priorities. What is it you value? So here's our first value is simply this. We live like God owns everything. What does that mean? We live like God owns everything. Psalms 24.1 says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. John Piper said, When we belong to Jesus, we're finally able to make God look glorious in our lives. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. What's it look like if we lived every day like God owned everything? So here's the first instruction. Seek God's glory. Go ahead and take your Bibles. If you've got those or your phones, your iPads, uh, take your neighbor's Bible. I don't care. But uh, Genesis, Exodus in the Old Testament, turn over to Exodus chapter 33 and we're going to get to that in just a moment, and it'll be verse 12 to 18. But before we get there, um, let's talk about the main character that is pursuing God, and that's a guy that all of you are probably familiar with, and his name is Moses. Uh, if you've ever seen any of the old movies about Moses, uh, you get a little hand on who this guy is. And even as I was a kid, and I would hear about Moses, what helped me was the number 120, because you can look at the life of Moses and it's easily broken into three 40-year segments. So the first segment is, you know, he comes into this world, he's in the basket, uh, he's basically adopted uh, into uh, uh, Pharaoh's home, Pharaoh's uh, household, he's living in royalty, and it seems like uh, he's destined uh, to live an incredibly great life, uh, except he he has a bad day, he kills a guy. Okay, so Uh, Then he becomes a fugitive, so he heads out, becomes a shepherd. Uh, This is purely speculation. I think he probably thought, uh, (laughs) I've been on the lamb long enough. Nobody's going to get away. You know, nobody's going to capture me. Life is good. And then God interrupts, doesn't he? And at the age of 80, he encounters God through what? A burning bush. 
As a matter of fact, I love the phrase that says, take off your sandals, Moses, because you are what? On holy ground. It's a great place to be. But he's terrified. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, this guy that was so terrified. He understood and he encountered the glory of God, but he had some fears. Matter of fact, they have uh, phobias, which are uh, defining what fears are. And you know there's a fear called glossophobia. Anybody know what gloss? How about you guys from Purdue? You know what that is? It's the fear of public speaking. Now, maybe some of you have glossophobia. Uh, My guess is more than a handful of you do. Now, you're going to think I'm lying. But I'm telling you the truth. I was terrified uh, of public speaking. When I was a sophomore in high school, I still remember, you get that sick, nauseating feeling when they call your name. Three minutes, what do you love most? That was easy. Stan Musial, St. Louis Cardinals. Three minutes. I lasted 30 seconds. Sat down, and I got that cold sweat, and that, that heart starts pounding. I get it. There is something about that fear. Now, Moses isn't just asked to speak in public. What is God asking him to do? I want you to lead a nation. And it starts with speaking in public to, at that time, the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh. And as you know, Moses simply says, Lord, there's no way I can handle that. I have so many deep insecurities. I have so many fears in my life. Lord, I've experienced your glory, but you can't ask me to do that. All of us here have insecurities. All of us have fears. Matter of fact, it's interesting. In the Washington Post, they listed the top 10 things that Americans fear. Top 10. And I'm not going to give you all 10, but here's three. Number three, spiders and snakes. Uh, Any of you that are my age, remember the songs, I Don't Like Spiders or Snakes? It's a terrible song. But anyway, number two, heights. And then number one, public speaking. Isn't that amazing? Number one fear uh, that everyone has is public speaking. Now, look at the life of Moses. Listen to the things that he fears and how God works through him. This is how you know God's glory is shown, not the glory of Moses. Okay, number one, spiders and snakes. Do you remember the very first thing he did with Pharaoh? He takes the staff and he throws it down and it becomes a... Yeah, and then he has to pick the snake up, okay, That's amazing that God worked through even that most basic fear. Heights, Moses spent some time on a mountain, didn't he? And then the public speaking. Moses is still trying to dish it off. And God's like, no, Moses, I need you to step up. That's how God's glory works. Where are you this morning with the fears that you have? And then after all of that, if you remember, as the story continues, Moses gets through the ten plagues with Pharaoh, and then He's finally released with God's people, and the Israelites make their way to the sea. Do you remember that? And just when you think it's going to have a happy ending, and they're faced looking at the sea, what was at the rear? Pharaoh's army started pounding down. You could hear the horses. You could hear the chariots. You could hear the screams, and now all of a sudden they're terrorized. Now, what would you do as a leader at that point? Now, me, as a leader at that moment, with uh, the army bearing down behind me and the ocean in front of me, the sea. I mean, I'm like, okay, uh, any women that can swim, take off. Every guy, grab a stick, grab, do whatever it takes. No, Moses doesn't panic. You know what he does? He stands back, and again, he seeks the glory of God. And I love verse 14, Exodus 14, 14. He says, fear, uh, the fear of the Israelites gripped them. The Lord will fight for you. 
you need only to be still. Now, I don't know about you, but that's one of the hardest things in life is to just be still. To say, God, you know my insecurities. You created me. You know my fears because I've cried out to you so many times. But Lord, just help me experience your glory by just being still. That's hard. And yet, he asked an entire nation, just breathe in the God's Breathe in the glory of God. Be still. Maybe God's sharing that with you this morning. You just need to slow down a little bit. I love the idea that 199 times in the Old Testament is that word glory. Glory means brilliant light. Uh, it's, uh, the, the, uh, the Hebrew word is doxa, and that's where we get the word doxology. So you look at that and you think God wants us to seek his glory. Now, Check out Exodus if you've got your Bible. Uh, turn over to Exodus 33, starting in verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. And if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways, so that I may know you, continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Does that sound familiar? And then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all of the other people on the face of this earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you. And here it is again. I know your name. And then I love verse 18. And Moses said, now show me your glory. Man, would you say that with me? Show me your glory. I mean, there it is. Moses said, listen, I have been on this journey with you. You have brought me out of the pits. You have done everything to work through my insecurities and my fears. Now you're asking me to lead this nation to a land that you've promised them. But Lord, it's not about me. I could care less about my glory. Lord, show me your glory. Let me experience your presence. I love the fact that at glory is experienced the reality of God's existence. God wants us to experience his glory. You want to live as if God owns it all? It starts with seeking the face of God, seeking his glory. That's where it's all about. Years ago when I was a minister at church in Illinois, and if you know anything about central Illinois, uh, I mean, it is so flat. I mean, it is so flat. And uh, we were going through this stressful time in the church. I got on my bike. Uh, I, uh, my kids used to make fun of me. I had this thing look like a fanny pack with a Walkman. Anybody remember what that was, the Walkman? Boy, that's sexy. So anyway, I, got, I strapped on the old Walkman, took off. Just, I mean, I just, just started riding. I got miles out, and I'm listening to, I uh, uh, got my cassette. <laughs> I'm really aging myself. And then I'm listening to Third Day Offerings was the, was the worship. And I'm sitting there just listening. And when I left, it was a little dark, not a big deal. And uh, as I'm writing, I'm just so into this. And then I could just hear this boom. And I'm like, that's not good. And I turn the bike around. And I, I mean, it's not like Twister. 
But, I mean, it's a major storm. And I thought, man, I better get home. I start pedaling. And then uh, the song came on, third day, show me your glory. And all of a sudden, I just tilted my head up, and the rain just started just pounding on me. And I heard this little voice in my head, and it was my mom. You know your mom's voice? So, and it was like, you idiot, get home, you know. And then I was also in an argument with my mom, like, no, I'm a grown man. I'm worshiping God right now. I still got home fast, but I started listening to every word of that song. Show me your glory. How many days do you wake up and that's your question? That's what you want. God, just show me your glory today. If we just pass this mic around to every one of you, wouldn't that be amazing to hear how you've experienced God's glory this week? Because I guarantee you have. And if you want to live every day as if God owns everything, you live seeking the face of God. And then here's what happens. Once you begin to constantly seek out his face, then you begin to bring him glory through your life. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 4.6, For God, who said, Let the light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory. That out of God's glory, then we live every day to bring glory to God. That's how this whole thing works. You don't step back and go, how in the world can I live as if God owns everything? So here's what I guarantee some of you thought when you heard God owns everything. Live like God owns everything. You were thinking, I know what this dude's going to talk about. He's going to talk what every preacher talks about, money. He's going to hit me with the money thing. And I hope you're not disappointed because that's not what we're going to talk about at all. It's about generosity. Generosity comes out of seeking the glory of God and then saying, God, everything I do, I just want to bring glory to you. Roger Clark this week, it's interesting, he was talking about this value, and he said they were talking to a group of folks uh, that were seniors in the church, had been members at Sherwood Oaks for years. And one of the things that the seniors made a comment, and I thought this was really good, they said, when you live as if God owns everything, your goal isn't to give God 10% and then not worry about the other 90% of your life. It's saying, God, that tithe, that's not just showing you the glory. That's just the beginning. Really, Lord, what it really matters is that other 90%. Not just your finances. It's your entire life that you bring God glory. Let me give you just a, a couple of what I would call snapshots of Sherwood Oaks, what I think is demonstrating their generosity. Uh, over 10 years ago, it's hard to believe this, but uh, the Poor House, which is a coffee house sponsored by Sherwood Oaks on Kirkwood, uh, began this amazing journey. And when we started, here's our mission statement. You ready? It's going to take you a long time to write this one down. Pouring goodness. Pretty clever, right? Pouring goodness. Okay, that's our mission, okay? So we started to dream about what would it look like if, first of all, we told everybody working there, all of the employees, you're not going to make what most people make here on Kirkwood because we're a church. I mean, we, we don't have that. Second thing is most of the workers on Kirkwood, uh, they make extra money by getting tips. Well, nobody gets any tips. So we just asked the community. We had this little tip jar that actually one year... Uh, Charles, you remember this got stolen? <laughs> That's a bad day. Okay, so uh, you would, what would you think would happen if people are starting just putting change in a jar? 
Well, over 10 years later, over $140,000 has come through that jar. And I think about what God's done with that money and all of the folks that he's been able to help, the communities and, and uh, global missions through that. Our global and local missions is over 12% at Sherwood Oaks. There are 14 local ministries. Uh, every year's budgeted over 107000 There are global partners, 28, $258,000. Then there are special projects in the community where a lot of individuals just step up behind the scenes. For example, the Habitat Build, $48,000. And two years ago, you may remember, uh, there was a camp and they were taking all these refugees, all these folks that were persecuted and thrown out because of ISIS. And you remember in a month's time, Sherwood Oaks raised $130,000. Now, how does that happen? It's when you say, God, I could care less that I get glory, I want you to get the glory. We all can have a front row to life change when we learn generosity by giving God glory. But why is it so hard to make that transition? And the answer is change. Change is hard. It's hard for all of us. I read in a book entitled When Helping Hurts uh, by Stephen Corbett and Brian uh, Fickett, and they said this, and I thought this is interesting, that in order for change to happen, one of three things has to occur. Number one, a crisis. It's interesting the Chinese have a, have a code or a language and the symbols for crisis, and it uh, is translated dangerous opportunity. Some of you may be in the midst of a crisis right now. And you know what happens when we go through a crisis. Everything changes. Your finances change. Your schedule changes. Crisis does that. The second thing is when the status quo is overwhelming. I always like to say it's when you hit the enough moment in life. It's when you say, Lord, I have had enough. Um, I don't know if any of you are trying to lose weight at all. I can relate. It's when you hit that point of saying enough. Matter of fact, I felt bad this morning. I was talking to Joe. Joe, raise your hand. Joe said, you got a little something on your chin. I said, really? He goes, no, your other chin. Joe! Joe, Joe, baby, come on. Now, all of us know what that's like, don't we? Seriously. All of us go through this time in life and we're like, I've had enough. Man, I have got to get out of this rut. And again, maybe some of you are right there and you're like, like, Lord, I'm tired of playing the same game every day and the status quo. And then the third one is, it's when you're introduced to a new way that will improve your life. You know what that's called? Jesus Christ. You want something to stop you in your tracks and change how you live? It's Jesus Christ. Everything will change. So let me just share a couple of good questions we all need to ask ourselves. The, the first one is, what skills has God given me by which I can bless others? You all have skills. You may not think you do, but you do. What skills do you have that you can bless others? that you can bring glory to God. And then the second question to ask yourself is, where and how can I do the most strategically to advance the mission of God? Like if I actually thought this through strategically, what can I do to advance the glory of God? And here's the best way to do that. Do it with somebody else. I think too many times we get overwhelmed because we think God is calling me to do something, and a lot of times God is saying, no, he's calling us to do something. Okay? Makes all the difference. I want to close today. I was, I was thinking about the church 
what is the kind of church that brings glory to God. And I saw this little video clip, and I just want to share this with you, and then we'll close. I've been thinking a lot about that, is how easy it is that the church, if we're not comfortable, or if we get comfortable, that that's what it becomes, is it feels like a cruise ship. And you always know, and I always know, I'm sliding into that when I begin whining about what's the church going to do for me? And what kind of programs does the church have? What kind of temperature is the room? What is it we're complaining about? Because when we get to the point that we say, you know what I want to be? I want to be a church where I can be comfortable. That's when the church begins to die. Because let me tell you something, you read that whole Bible and I don't read anything about a comfortable faith. It does not exist. He doesn't call us to be comfortable. He calls us to be on a mission. And I thought a lot about what does a battleship look like? Does the captain submit to a higher authority? Man, that just pierced me. I'm like, man, God, I just pray every day that I want to seek your glory. That I don't get so distracted by wanting to be comfortable. And where are you this morning? Are you pursuing the glory of God? I mean, do you really want the glory of God? And do you want God's glory to come through you? I hope you want to be part of a church that's not seeking to be a cruise ship, but a battleship.